title of today's message is Necessary Strength. We're continuing our What is the Church series, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We're going to shift a little bit today in the What is the Church series and look at a couple of specific examples and truths that are in Ephesians 6. And one of the things that we want to highlight today is that the church is a standing and occupying army that is made up of individual Christians. And we want to look at how this army has strength and how it functions and and how it's able to stand against the, the evil that is within this world. So that's what I want to look at today is what is the source of a Christian strength? What it should be and where the church draws that strength. As most of you know, when I was growing up, I spent all the time that I wasn't in school in Hayward staying with my grandparents. My grandfather in particular had a huge impact on me of what it means to be a man. My grandfather was of the World War II generation, so he had a definition of manhood that isn't seen very often in our culture anymore. And whenever I describe my grandpa to somebody, I always refer people to the John Wayne movie, The Quiet Man. Anybody seen that? No? Okay, never mind. But he kind of shows what my grandfather was like. Growing up with him, my grandfather instilled with me a few principles of what it means to be a man. The first thing he taught me is honor. He said, your word is your bond. Honor and honesty have a direct relation to what kind of a man you are, or even if you deserve the title of being a man. Another thing that he instilled in me is this idea of not having fear in life at all. He told me fear is not an option. If my grandfather found out I was afraid of something, he would immediately make me go do it. One time we were walking through the woods in northern Wisconsin, we came kind of to a cliff and he saw I was kind of going like this away from that cliff because I was kind of deathly afraid of heights, but I didn't want to admit it to him. And so he made me go and stand on the edge of that cliff and he held my belt and he said, you have to lean over and just trust me to hold you. And he's, he's doing that to try to get me over my fear of heights. My grandfather was in the Pacific Theater in World War II and he was one of those people that was taking island after island away from the Japanese. And during that time he won several medals for valor. And we were talking about fear. I would ask him, I said, well, you know, you were in war. You had people shooting at you, Grandpa. Weren't you ever afraid? He said, I was always afraid. I was always terrified. You can't be in combat without being afraid. He said, but one thing that I learned was that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing despite being so scared that you want to panic and just throw up your arms and run away. Courage is doing the right thing in the presence of fear and realizing that there are some things more important than your fear. So you do the right thing no matter how afraid you might be. Another thing he taught me was deference toward women. He said, you need to be a gentleman. Being a gentleman is defined as simply making other people as comfortable as they can around you. When I was at a funeral growing up, we were in a funeral home, and I was sitting in a chair next to my grandpa, and a woman came in late. And my grandpa um, just looked at me, and he was just staring at me. I'm trying to figure out why he was staring at me. And I looked at him, he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he goes, aren't you going to get up? I said, what are you talking about, Grandpa? He said, there's a woman standing. He goes, if you are a man, 
You do not sit while a woman is standing. He goes, get up. You're the youngest person here. You should be the one standing up. That kind of follows me even to today. Even when we're in the hospital in a meeting, if I'm sitting in a chair and a woman comes in and there's no other seats, I will stand up and offer her my chair just automatically. I don't even really think about it because my grandpa instilled that within me that I should always honor women and, and respect them that way. People think I'm kind of old-fashioned about that, but it's just something that was instilled in me. Another thing that he instilled in me was this idea of defending the weak. He said, you are not a man and you are not showing strength um, strength and character if you allow evil to happen and you don't try to stop it. If something is happening right in front of you, if, if somebody is getting mugged right in front of you and you don't try to stop it, you're not a man. You're just a little boy dressed in man's clothing is what he used to tell me. And I'm not sure if it was my grandfather's teaching or just something that was placed in me by God, but I have a very strong instinct to defend and guard. It's just part of who I am. Ask Tammy. It drives her crazy sometimes when I'm in public or in a large public gathering that I'm always kind of on alert and looking around and, and different things like that. My grandfather's definition of strength that it takes to be a real man was defined probably through his tough Norwegian upbringing. He was one of the original colonizing people in that area. They didn't have plumbing, they didn't have electricity, they didn't have anything. I once asked him, you know, Grandpa, how come you can see a deer 300 yards away in a bush laying down in the fog? I mean, I can't even see the bush that you are looking at, but you were able to take your rifle with no sight on it and shoot that deer straight in the heart from 300 meters away. He goes, because I learned growing up, Johnny, if I miss, I don't eat. So he was a kind of, that was the environment that he grew up in. And it made him pretty strong and pretty tough. But he was also a man that had deep feelings. And he loved his God with all of his heart. He knew Jesus as a Savior and trusted him with salvation. And he wanted to live a life that gave praise to God. In fact, whenever my grandfather spoke of the strength it takes to be a man, he would always point me back to God. He showed me that you can uh, claim to be tough and macho, but if you're only trusted in yourself and your own giftings and your own, your own attitudes and your own strengths, you, all you have is this fragile eggshell around you. It will fail when the trouble really hits. In Ephesians chapter 6, the part that is always emphasized in sermons, when we talk about, um, when we talk about Ephesians 6, is the armor of God. And we're going to get to that in the coming weeks. But before we get to the armor, we need to lay a foundation about what it takes to put on that armor. The language that we're about to read here in Ephesians 6 is not written as a suggestion. Greek language is just like the English language and that the sentence structure is formed in a particular way to bring out a certain type of principle. For example, we have declarative statements. Bernie is sitting in that chair. That is a declaration, that is a, a fact that we are bringing out. If I say, what are we having for supper, Tammy? That is a question that I am bringing out. The type of wording that is in the verse that we are about to read is a very declarative imperative within the Greek language. He is, he is saying that this is utterly important to being 
what you need to be for God. In military speak, if this was Paul talking in a military way, he's saying, I am giving you a direct order. So what is that direct order? Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask, Father, that we take this, this one verse of Scripture and really mine its truth today. That we not only understand what it means, but we apply it to our lives, Father. So that in these dark days, in these days of trouble, and, and days of anxiety, and days of, that would try to keep us down in fear, that we would learn what it means to stand in You, Lord. So that if we try to put on the armor of God, that it fits well and that it is firmly put into place in our lives, Father. And that it can be seen by the world and bring great glory to Jesus. Yes. Father God, I ask this in your name. Amen. When God was telling me about this message, I found it to be a bit unusual because I like to preach and explain chunks of Scripture and not individual verses. However, as I, as I meditated upon this this week and as I was doing the research and, and all the background that goes into making a message, I saw that there's this full banquet of truth in these 13 words that I think is critical to the, for our survival as followers of Jesus Christ in these last days. I also know that it is crucial for us to have this truth in place before we get into the armor of God next week and possibly the week after. There are three requirements within this one verse that have to be in place before we can even consider donning this armor of God. You think, well, why is that? Why do we need a requirement for putting on the armor of God? Doesn't Jesus just do everything? Well, yes, he does, but... The reason you need some cer a certain type of attribute into place and a certain requirement in place is the same reason that we spend 14 weeks outfitting and training a soldier. Think about it. If I give you a uniform that says U.S. Army, it fits you. I give you all the equipment. I give you the LCE. I give you the Kevlar helmet. I give you the M16. I give you all the ammo pouches and grenades and then drop you in the middle of Afghanistan or drop you in the middle of Iraq, are you going to be able to survive? No. You have no idea how to use any of that stuff. You don't know about tactics. You don't know about how to, to find cover. You don't know how to even probably shoot the rifle if you've never shot an M4 before. It's going to be very hazardous to assume the armor of God is in place and doing you any good if you don't have the principle that we're going to look at this morning in place first. So the first principle that we see in verse 10 here is to be strong. To be strong. Throughout biblical history, both individuals and groups of people have been told to be strong by God. You remember Joshua before the battle of Jericho. Israel has just come out of the land of Egypt. They've wandered in the desert for 40 years. That whole slave generation has now died. God has risen up a new generation that he has raised up to go take the promised land. Joshua is now staring at a city that, militarily speaking, is impenetrable. There is no way that he is going to be able to take this city. 
from a military point of view. Even with six million people standing behind him, we're talking about a city whose walls were so thick that chariots could race three wide on top of that wall. That is how thick that wall is. Even modern military equipment and bombers and everything would have to drop bomb after bomb after bomb on this wall to break through this wall. So he is facing almost an impossible military situation here. And yet the angel of the Lord comes to him and he tells him three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Haven't I told you, be strong and courageous. That message so resonated within Joshua's heart that in his final address to the nation of Israel before he steps down and goes to be with the Lord, that he repeats these same words back to him. In another example, after Saul died, David is told to be strong and courageous in the Lord. In fact, whenever God does a new thing in the Bible, you'll see his primary message to his servant that's going to lead his people is be strong and courageous. Now, what is God talking about? What does that look like? I mean, are we talking about John Wayne here, kind of strong? Are we talking about Bruce Willis in the Die Hard movies or Sylvester Stallone in Rocky? Are we talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in most of his movies? You know, he, he wrestles the devil down, kicks him in the face and says, I'll be back. I mean, is, is that what we're talking about here? Is that the kind of strength and courage that is being referred to in the Bible? Some, some type of inner resolve to triumph over a situation or an enemy and usually while telling a joke during it? Is that what we're talking about here? We need to define what strength is within the uh, biblical record here and, and what Paul is saying. Because our nation idolizes men like Douglas MacArthur or George Patton, the generals of yesteryear. Men who are tough, men who are resilient, hard-charging, conquering heroes. Somebody who has an inner strength and a drive to accomplish great feats that many people were, thought were impossible. So let's ask a question. Let's pretend you are Jesus 2,000 years ago. You know that God the Father is calling you to start a new religious movement. Who are the 12 guys that you picked to do this? Wouldn't you pick, you know, 12 Arnold Schwarzeneggers? Wouldn't you pick, you know, somebody who's like George Patton? Wouldn't you pick, you know, a Sylvester Stallone who's going to keep boxing and fighting and swinging no matter what is going to, no matter what kind of odds he is facing? Isn't that the kind of person that you're going to select to get things done? Men who are going to inspire people, men who, who are going to, push people to get that mission done. But, but that's not what Jesus did, isn't it? I mean, consider this for a moment. If you follow Jesus Christ, you live a life that is a paradox, don't you? The life of Christ is completely opposite of the way the world would tell us to do things. Being strong and having strength is no different. The strength and courage that is being talked about here is no different. In Matthew 5-8, through 8, Jesus preaches the most famous sermon in history by describing what it means to be a success in the kingdom. And as we said, it's a completely opposite of what we think we look at as success. And one of the attributes I want to bring out this morning for successful kingdom living is this. Blessed are the meek. 
for they will inherit the earth. Doesn't that sound like the opposite of what we're talking about here when we say to be strong? I mean, to paraphrase this verse, I would say that the one who receives the power and provision of God are the ones that are most empty of themselves. And they will be the ones that God gives the earth to. I remember when I was new at my last job. I got out of orientation and I was, I was with my precepting partner. And he was one of these guys that was always talking about how great he was. You ever known somebody like that? That just tells you how great they were or what they've done in life and, and how good they are at their job. I don't know if you've ever been partnered with a person like that or had to work with a person like that, but they seem to be pretty common in firefighting and EMS sometimes. He'd tell me, you know, he was a lieutenant on his fire department. He's about to be promoted to captain. And he'd been doing this for years. And even though he was an intermediate EMT, which is under a paramedic, and I was the paramedic, that we don't even need you on the truck. I don't even need you. I just need a basic because I can do almost everything a paramedic can. And I can do it better than you could do it anyway. And I would, I would be listening to this for 24 hours and telling me how, how great he was. And I remember I was driving back to the station in the middle of the night, and he was going into one of his speeches again. And, and he ended the speech with saying, you know what, Johnny O, you're one of the weakest men I know. He goes, you never stand up for yourself, or you don't talk about your experience, and everybody thinks you're very weak at your job. Well, that was his opinion anyway. I, I, I just simply replied, and it was a Holy Spirit thing, I think, because, you know, three in the morning, I just would have looked at him and said, shut up, dude, you know. But I, I remember I replied to him, and he brought this up years later that it really shook him when I said this. I said, sometimes it takes more strength not to respond to that kind of stuff than it takes to defend yourself. That's right. I said, I'm a Christian. I said, it doesn't make me perfect. It doesn't make me better than you. However, my strength is not found in pounding my chest and telling how, everybody how great I am. My strength comes from telling how, everyone how great Jesus is who lives inside me. In fact, the weaker I am, the stronger Jesus can be in my life. And I found that to be a key, that God is a source of true strength. He's a source of true courage. He's a source of true wisdom. That it all has to come from God. And that leads us to our next point. Where Paul said, be strong in the Lord. That he should be our source of strength. You know, one of the questions I get as a pastor most often is, how do I know that blank, and blank can be a situation, blank can be a decision that has to be made, blank can be just about anything in life. How do I know that this thing is from the Lord, or if it's coming from my own head, or, or it's even coming from the devil? How do, I, how do I figure that out? And sometimes how I answer that is, you know, I ask, what is the source of what we are talking about? What kind of feelings or emotions does it stir up within, within you? Does it stir up pride? Or does it stir up anxiety? Does it stir up peace? And you can usually tell where that thing is coming from by the kind of emotions it stirs up within you if, it's, if God's word doesn't speak specifically to it. Let me give you an example that will relate a little bit to what we live with here in rural Wisconsin. An example from the Bible of Israel leaves Egypt and they walk in circles in the desert for 40 years. 
Now, if you've ever been in a desert for any length of time, you'll know that one of the keys to survival is finding adequate sources of drinkable water, isn't it? Because there's not a whole lot of water in a desert. That's why they call it a desert. In Israel's case, if you factor in the livestock, we're talking about having enough water to, to, for the entire population of Metro Chicago to drink every single day. Think about that. Everybody driven through Chicago at one point or another? That's a pretty big place with a lot of people, isn't it? Eight million people in Metro, in Metro Chicago. Factor in the livestock and the people, that's what they're facing with every day. And they don't have the second largest freshwater lake in the world next to them. That's a pretty big challenge that Moses had to face in leadership. And it was a bigger challenge because of the geography and the plant life within deserts. Many of the times they got to a well or they'd find an oasis, they would find that water to be very alkaline. And it would be undrinkable without becoming violently ill or dying from it. So finding a good water source to sustain life is critical to desert dwellers. I remember when we moved here a couple of years ago, one of the questions that we had was what is the water quality going to be like in Whitehall? You know, Kenosha, for a city, has pretty decent water. It's kind of chlorinated. If you leave a glass of water sitting on the counter and come back and smell it later, you can kind of smell the chlorine in the water in Kenosha. But otherwise, it's, it's fairly drinkable water. And I remember growing up in Hayward, where our water came out of a well, and it was very well-tasting water. You have that kind of metallic, musty smell to the water. And so we were wondering, you know, are we gonna, when we get up there, are we going to have to like put a, a filter on the parsonage water or anything like that? It was, it was kind of concerning. It was even more concerning when, I drove, when we drove up here to meet with the board and we saw the Trempealeau River and how shallow and murky it looked. And I'm like, that's where our drinking water is coming from? I was like, I'm thinking we might be, we might be uh, buying some bottled water here. <laughs> and... You know, as I've, learned, as I've uh, lived here, I've found out that we have deep municipal wells, and our water quality for Whitehall is actually very good. I think it's actually better than Kenosha's. In Israel's case, God always moved them from water to water, and then to more water. Even when it wasn't apparent that there was water in the area, or the water was bad, God somehow provided for them. And that is the key to our strength. Our strength is in the Lord. He provides the source of our strength. You see, if, just like the people in Egypt and the people in Israel, excuse me, if you drink water from the wrong well, you get bad results. Just like a poisoned well can hurt or kill you, so can tapping in to the wrong source of strength. Jesus' little brother says it like this, Can sweet water and bitter water flow from the same spring? No. So, from the source where you draw your strength will directly impact the way that you show your strength to the world. That is why Paul tells us to be strong in the Lord and not in the ways of earth. A few moments ago, I described a guy that needed to constantly remind everyone of that People should look up to him because he was strong, he was good at his job, he was, he was very competent, and he was even being promoted in his fire department. He, he had to always figuratively, you know, kind of do the ape thing and thump his chest and show everybody how great he was, and that we would admire him and look up to him. But the problem was found in the results. 
Usually when he would get going, everybody would kind of roll their eyes and think, here he goes again. But there was also something else he was known for. Not only for bragging, not only for boasting about his own abilities, he was also known as the guy that if he got into a critical patient situation would freeze and be absolutely unable to help his patient because he wouldn't know what to do. You see, that's the problem with being tapped into the wrong well of strength. You know, we can dig our own wells in this life. We can try to tap down into some other source of strength. But the problem with drinking out of that is it's a shallow well. It's unsure well. It's possibly even poisonous well. And the saying that you are what you eat really comes true in this. If you drink from your own ego, if you drink from your own pride, and drink from your own vanity, you shouldn't be surprised at what comes out of you. And before Jesus changed my heart, I drank from that well for years. Occasionally, sometimes I still do, and Tammy is faithful and just to remind me of it all the time when I do. It's a good wife, yeah. What I found is that when I tap into the well of God is that it is a very deep well. I cannot exhaust His living water. I found that that well is never ending. I found that, the, that God's water never leaves you thirsty the way that the world's does. I found that God's water quenches my deepest thirst. Not only quenches my thirst, but it becomes a well of living water that comes out from within me that refreshes others as well. And if you are standing in God's power, if you're drinking from His strength and His power, there isn't a force in this universe that would dare stand against you. Because His strength becomes our strength. The third thing that Paul says, the strength of His might. Now I want to remind you this morning what we're talking about when we reference God's strength. The Bible just doesn't say strength strength and move on, it references God's mighty power when we talk about strength. I want you to take a moment and think about everything that means to us this morning. The strength of God's might spoke and nothing became everything. The strength of God's might spoke and that which never existed came into existence. The strength of God's might caused Adam to receive the breath of life and become a living being. The strength of God's might closed the door of the ark before the flood could destroy the earth. The strength of God's might fell upon Egypt until the people of God were set free. And that same strength of God's might parted an ocean and led them through a desert with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The strength of God's might did countless miracles in the Old Testament until it was time for the greatest display of God and the strength of His might when He laid the penalty of our sins on His Son who died in our place so that God could really show us the power of His might and raise Him again from the dead. That's the power that is available to you and me. But that power will have no rival. You can't tap into a well of your own and then expect anything when you try to tap in the strength of His might. 
One of the big questions in Christianity today is, why do I even need holy? What is this whole thing about holy? Jesus did it all. Don't, I mean, didn't Jesus die for all of our sins? And I would say, yes, that is the gospel. That amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That is the gospel. Holiness is imparted to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus for all those who would follow him, who would believe in him and accept his free gift of salvation. To that we say, Amen. You will exist in the presence of God for all eternity, free to experience God in all of his fullness and all of his blessings. But that's only half the gospel. God didn't save you so you could just stumble through life and pass out as you cross the finish line. God saved you to be a victor. God saved you to show his son to this world. His children will not lose as long as they are standing in the power of his might. Why does living right matter then? Because if we live holy, if we try to live right before God in a way that is pleasing to Him, it gives you keys to unlock the storehouses of heaven right here on earth. Holiness allows you to tap directly into the power of His might. God wants to bless you. God wants to empower you. God wants to give you that power of His might and use you in His kingdom. But you have to have the character that will hold that kind of power and use it responsibly for His glory. And the recipe for that is simple. Less of you and more of Him. The less of your pride, your stubbornness, and your rebellion that you allow to run free in your life, the more of God's power and provision will be made available for you in your life. And this is why we can't even think about putting on the armor of God until we have this in place. We can't even consider trying to put all of that on. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of of his might. I saw a great way of illustrating this this week. On um, Friday, we were, or Thursday, we were giving a tour to some kids to the fire department. And I saw firsthand why a, a child can't simply just put on like firefighting gear and expect to be a firefighter. There was something else that had to take place first. And that same thing happens with us being a Christian. That something else has to be there so that armor fits tight. And I want to I show you that this morning. Do I have a volunteer or do I have to volunteer somebody to come up here? <laughs> Melanie, you're being voluntold. <laughs> but I'm going to mess up your hair. I'm going to mess up your hair, though. <laughs> so this is, this is my helmet from the fire department right here. So if Melanie just decides to come in and say, I'm going to be a firefighter today. <laughs> yep, and I'll put the helmet on her. Now, Melanie, take your hands off. Look forward. Look down like you're down at the ground. <laughs> okay, wait a second. What? Look to the left. Tilt your head to the left once. <laughs> you see what's happening? The helmet just sliding over the place, isn't it? But look what happens 
Hopefully I don't pinch your hair here. If I actually would train her to put this on right, now look down. Look up. Look left. Look right. That helmet's staying in position, isn't it? That helmet is staying right the way it was designed to be. That is what existing in God's power does to the armor of God. If we just try to put this on without the right training, without the right character, and without the right strength, that our armor is just going to flop all over the place. We're going to trust in something that is not put on right, it is not being maintained right, and it's going to leave us weak and vulnerable to the enemy, isn't it? Thank you, Melanie. I've never actually worn one of these. Here, I'll turn the light on so you're official. <laughs> Let's stand. Father God, it is our desire this morning, Lord, that we would exist in such a way that we are only drawing our strength from you that we are only operating in your power, that we are only operating according to your will in this life. So, Father God, I just ask that we take a moment this morning for your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of our lives. That if we have a root in the wrong well over here that we try to hide from others, that you will pull that root out and put it into the root of your well. And not only that, but you will fill in that well over there so we can't leave this place and put that root back, which is our tendency to do as human beings. Father, let no well be available to your people except the well of your power, the well of your love, the well of your strength, and the well of your sustenance, Lord.